Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Cooper alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. The Labor Day weekend has come and gone, and boy, what a weekend of CFL football it was. Uh, it appears the offenses have finally decided to wake up this week, and uh, we had a couple barn burners of games, a couple great performances, and of course, some surprises along the way. We'll talk about all of those over the next hour or so here. Mike, or initial thoughts, what do you make of Labor Day weekend? Well, I think you forgot to mention one thing to your list. A very sad fantasy football team owner right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into we'll get into uh, Mike's mishaps when it comes to fantasy our little fantasy game later on in the show. That's for sure. You know, I'm not going to let those ones slide. No, it's supposed to be after I gave you the speech last week. <laughs> very true. But very no. true. But no, in all, in all seriousness, it was a great weekend for the CFL. Um, it was neat to see the fan bases interact with each other. Um, we saw some football games with some bite. And I think the best part is we did three rematches later on this week. Yes, that is, you got to love the Labor Day matchups and then the rematches next week. We saw some. Uh, teams that really hated each other this week going head-to-head. And uh, it seems to bring either the best or the worst out of both sides anytime we have those matchups. And then, you know, you have to go do the same thing uh, about a week or less later. Uh, let's get into the first game of the week, the only one that isn't uh, part of a head-to-head. Uh, it was the Montreal Alouettes and the Ottawa Red Blacks. And uh, if you would have told me the total number of points scored in this game was going to be 80, I think I would have uh, I would have told you to check your temperature perhaps or something because you might be feeling a little under the weather. 51 for Montreal, 29 for Ottawa. I, I mentioned the barn burners. This was as high scoring of a game as we've seen by far so far this year in the CFL. Uh, and I imagine it's going to be one of the higher ones we see all season. Yeah, but I mean, I, I watched this one because uh, I was out of town for the Friday game. So I just watched actually the entire thing pretty much from start to finish uh, this morning before uh, watching the two the two games, uh, Labor Day uh, games. Um yeah, this, this, this to me is very interesting because, you know, Ottawa has been so dead defensively. They've been in a lot of games, quite honestly, but they really shouldn't have been and were because of their defense. Uh, one would argue that they shouldn't have a win to their credit based on the game that they won uh, earlier against Edmonton, but you know, this was a complete whatever you touched literally blew up kind of game. Yeah, and, you know, they're facing the Alouettes, who we, we had a lot of question marks coming into this week. We had talked the past two weeks on the podcast. What's wrong with Vernon Adams Jr.? Why? What's wrong with the receivers? Why is that connection not there? So much talent, they can't get things together. 
the past two weeks, Vernon Adams Jr. averaging, I believe, a 50% completion percentage. Uh, he goes 18 of 23, a nice 78.3%, 288 yards, four touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Uh, you couldn't ask for a better bounce back game from him. And I know he had the he had the post game interview where he uh, he basically said, you know, this game and this performance from him and his team meant so much for his confidence. You could tell that he really needed this game. Yeah, and you know what was interesting, Ryan, and I I, I think one thing quickly that kind of jumped out to me about about VA's game compared to maybe the other two games. VA is one of those quarterbacks that his feet kind of set the game up for him. You know, if he's able to run around and buy himself that extra second and a half or, you know, use his legs to move around the blocker to give himself a more high percentage throw by being able to get around somebody or just move some defenders around, you know, that's what he did a lot of in 2019. And that's what he did a lot of in this game, man, to really create, opportunities for himself and I I said this on the podcast you know quite a few times I think Montreal has one of the top receiving ports in the league you know one to five and you know they got some some depth guys but don't really catch the ball all that much but I think are, are just waiting for an opportunity but this was a Montreal team but we saw exactly what they're capable of and exactly just how lethal this offense can be aided by some help, I'm going to say. Yeah, and along with VA, I, I think some other guys got back on track, namely Eugene Lewis. Uh, a huge 120-yard game and two touchdowns. The majority of that came in the first half alone uh, this week. You know, Coming into this game, uh, tracking kind of the fantasy performances uh, of all of these guys, Lewis had been uh, on the lower end, had been kind of a bust if you picked him in fantasy football the past couple of weeks. But he's been the most targeted receiver in that Montreal offense so far this season. They just weren't connecting. They weren't getting on the same page. Finally, they did in this game, and Lewis made some great moves after catching the ball. Uh, to get, you know, extra yardage and get himself to the end zone. And, and when you can have this guy playing at the level we know he's capable of, uh, that's going to do great things for your offense. And, and another guy was kind of, you know, is a two-headed monster, uh, Eugene Lewis and Jake Wieneke, uh, who also put up 118 yards and two touchdowns. Other than that, their next leading receiver was just B.J. Cunningham with 27 yards. So, it was the Lewis and the Weineke show for the Alouettes. And uh, I know, you know, you preseason in one of our preview shows, I believe, talked about how Jake Weineke was going to be the breakout receiver. I think you said he was going to be the leading receiver for the Alouettes this year. I, I think you hit that nail on the head. He's got now, what, four or five touchdowns through a couple, a couple games so far this year. He led the the receiving group there in Montreal and touchdowns last season in 2019. Uh, I think he had eight on the year that year, and he's already at four or five through just a couple games. I mean, he should smash that this year and uh, possibly end up as one of the league's leading receivers. He should. And, and, the, and the fact is, I think a lot of what happened with those two receivers 
or the fear factor that a running back like William Standback provides. Um, because although Standback didn't have a, a, as great a game, you know, rushing as we're maybe attacking to seeing, I thought he did a really good job blocking, a really good job of blitz recognition. And, and I'll tell you something, if a running back can cut off, you know, a, a defender from going to the quarterback and giving him that second and a half, well, that second and a half can mean a world of difference when trying to make a throw. And then he also has some pretty good runs, too, that I think were back-breaking at the time uh, as well. So, you know, again, the thing I, I, I want to be very confident of, yes, this was a great team, but I want to see um, that continue against uh, another opponent. Um, because, you know, based on what we've seen from Ottawa, you know, some people said that, you know, this result was inevitable going in. I was a little skeptical. Montreal needs to put back-to-back performances together. And I think it's really unfortunate uh, that their second bye kind of comes uh, at the time that it does uh, this coming up week. Now in the feel-good story department, uh, how about the one-yard touchdown run from defensive lineman Armando Sewell? Uh, Alouette's late in the game, big lead, uh, giving the big man a chance to uh, do a play that I, I don't know if he's ever run before in his life, but uh, kudos to Armando Sewell for uh, his first career rushing touchdown in the CFL. I'm not even sure how to feel about that. Um, you know, because there's two schools of thought. And by the way, congratulations to, to Sewell. He, he deserves it. But I, I don't know. There's, there's some in the school of thought that see it as rubbing it in. There's another, there's another set of group that says, hey, you know, it, it, it's kind of cool. And... You know, I'm kind of sitting in between the two. If you ask me, yes, it's cool, but I'm not too sure that I want to be doing that on a weekly basis, especially to a division rival, uh, one that you'll see again in a couple weeks. So I, I don't know, like I said, it was a cool thing, but I, I could see how it would rub some people, uh, potentially in Ottawa fans or players the wrong way as well. Coming into this week, the I mean, every week, really, this big storyline has been the ineptitude of Ottawa's offense. Uh, Matt Nichols, at quarterback, just not getting it done. Uh, I believe after last week's game, Paul Apple saying the play of his offense has been unacceptable so far. They go back to Nichols again this week as the starter, uh, but he has a rough first quarter, two of five, 40% completion percentage, just 23 yards and an interception. Uh, and then he gets pulled for Dominic Davis, who comes in and I thought played pretty well. I think he's, we kind of saw the Dominic Davis we saw at times from Ottawa in 2019, you know, near 70% completion percentage, 291 yards in three quarters. Uh, two touchdown passes. He also added 38 yards and a touchdown on the ground, but he had two interceptions to add to that as well. Um, not a bad day for Dominic Davis coming in uh, in relief there and certainly gave the Red Blacks the biggest spark we've seen from their offense all year. In fact, you know, I was crunching the numbers. Uh, Davis actually had more fantasy points 
through three quarters of football in this one than Nichols has on the entire season uh, by a slight margin. So definitely some life, I thought, from Ottawa that in that regard. Uh, what do you think of the, uh, the performance when Davis came in? Davis, I think, with Dom Davis, he wasn't uh, he wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. I just want to make sure. I I need to see more consistency from Dom. I personally, and I I believe that this will be happening. Although again, it is early in the week. I want to see Dom Davis get a start. Um, I think the quarterback coming into a game where the, where you know, the score has somewhat decided at the point in the game in which he came in. I, I, I think there's a little bit of a, of a reason for success, right? I mean, a lot of his success was, you know, when the ball game was practically over, Montreal was piling on. I want to see him start the game. But, again, yes, great offensive performance, but, you know, we saw this in spurts from Don Davis in the past. Um, I'm not sure what the answer is um, for Ottawa. And I know uh, the ladies on the Mouchoir podcast were talking about, you know, the, the, the future of Ottawa quarterbacks and, you know, what that looks like beyond this year. I think given the way the standings have kind of – Shaking out, shut out, shaking out. Um, ended up so far this this season. Um, there may be a window closing sooner rather than later on Ottawa, but I really feel that they need to spend the rest of the year trying to win games, of course, but also evaluating uh, their roster for potential pieces. Uh, for 2022, um, and if Don Davis and if Matt Nichols are, are your long-term um, roster pieces, because if they're not, uh, you have to pick one and try to get somebody else in. Um, personally, I don't believe that both quarterbacks have a lot of offensive weapons to surround themselves with to have some success. I mean... I know the, the his name escapes me right now, but he had the big uh, kick or punt return, and then they've used him as a receiver from time to time. Devontae uh, Deadman. Devontae Deadman. But, you know, it's nice to have the Nate Pahards. It's nice to have the Daniel Peterman. The, you know, the Daniel Petermans in the world. But I just struggle to figure out who is going to lead this Ottawa franchise, who is your game breakers? Uh, they seem to have a little bit of a question at running back. Uh, the defense has some pieces to work with, um, for sure. But, you know, I think it's a matter of for Ottawa finding out, you know, what works for them. I think it's going to be a non-playoff year. I think I'm reasonably comfortable in saying that but figure out what you have to work with uh develop your core and work around it i don't want to say they're you know where wade miller and kyle walters and michael shea were when they took over i i think that's a little harsh because i i don't think the franchise could be 
in a worse spot than the Bombers were when those three took over. But they need to find their core, and they need to build around that core. And, you know, if that's Don Davis, if that's Matt Nichols, if that's, I think it's Jake Mayer, but we'll see what happens in the future there. Find some pieces you can work around. You certainly have the pieces on defense that we've seen to be competitive. But, again, it's what are you going to do at the quarterback position long term? Personally, from what I've seen, I don't think either of those two are the answer. However, I want to see some talent around maybe a guy like Matt Nichols before making that decision. So, as far as I'm concerned, this is Dom Davis's football team uh, for a few weeks. And let's see if he can play his way onto this roster long-term. Although I still believe for many reasons that people shouldn't be too critical about the quarterback position in Ottawa just yet until we see what they have around them. I know that's a long-winded answer, and I touched on a lot of things, but I think they kind of all tie together in a way. Well, one of the guys you touched on a little bit there, uh, Devontae Dedman. I think to me, he's one of the most electrifying players and players I love to watch the most in the CFL. Uh, combined on kickoff and missed field goal returns, uh, over 250 yards in that regard. He put up two catches for 52. He also added a carry for 16. Like the guy has so much speed. And is that explosive game breaker they need? And I really truly, you know, we finally saw him get in the starting role on offense this week. And I've been waiting for that for so long. And I draw so many comparisons in my mind to the trajectory of Brandon Banks and Hamilton, how he started as that explosive return guy and got started in the offense. And I mean, I know he's having a bit of a down year this year, but uh, overall, you know, the talent the past number of years that we've seen a wide receiver from Brandon Banks, the best receiver in the league. I don't know if Deadman quite can match that level, but I think if he gets more starting roles in the offense like this, he is going to be a guy that can start being a leader on this team and getting that offensive output they need. Uh, fantastic player, Devontae Deadman. I love watching him out there. And for me, the, you know, it felt really good to see Daniel Peterman leading the way for this team. He's a guy that was a backup for many years in Winnipeg. Uh, when he actually did get into the lineup for a couple reps, he was always, you know, a, a reliable receiver. He was good at catching the ball when it was thrown to him uh, and, you know, making some plays in that regard. Uh, seven catches, 77 yards and two touchdowns for him. I love seeing him have that breakout game for the Red Blacks. Yeah, you know what? And it's interesting, right? And I I, I never thought of the Deadman Banks comparison, but, you know, now I see it. Now that you mention it, one guy started on the, exclusively on the punt and kit returns, worked his way into the offense. And I think that's one of the pieces offensively, but I think you can work with. Uh, I'm just not sure if Ottawa can afford to take them off off of the special teams at this point in time True. and put them exclu- exclusively on the offense at this point in time. But I think that's something you could address in season or maybe in the off season. 
But it is very difficult to be a starting receiver and the punt returner and the kick returner, as we've seen on certain Bomber teams back for a time or two. I'm, I'm convinced uh, he could be on the football field the entire game long. That's how much energy that guy's got. But uh, may, maybe I'm wrong in that regard. Let's move on to the Sunday game, Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, Labor Day matchup, well, Labor Day Sunday, uh, in Regina, a game that is typically goes to the green and white, but the Bombers take this one. Yes, the Bombers win a Labor Day matchup for the first time since 2016, probably only, what, the second time in the last 15. I honestly block the official statistic out of memory because that's a lot of years of uh, sadness involved in that as a Bombers fan. But, hey, they won this time, uh, 23-8. to The Bombers beat the Riders. Uh, The big storyline, I think, in this game is the defensive matchup. Uh, Coming into this game, Cody Fajardo averaging 79% completion percentage. That Saskatchewan offense running on high efficiency. Uh, He completes just 59% of his passes, 211 yards, zero touchdowns, and three interceptions. Uh, Of course, you know, all the trash talk from both sides before the game. Uh, Willie Jefferson, you know, saying they had uh, they hadn't faced a defense quite like this yet, and uh, I would dare say he, you know, him and the rest of the defense lived up to those comments and uh, had a fantastic day. Yeah, I was I, honestly I didn't hear about the comments until the uh, until the game was going on, so I had to rewatch those comments. Um, it's, it's very interesting. I'll say that it's very interesting um, to say the very least about, you know, how players hype each other up, hype their opponents up, try to talk down their opponents, uh, that kind of thing. Um, in the spirit of gamesmanship and, and trash talking, which I get. Um but hey, this was they saw something, they said something, and and they followed up with what I thought was a dominating, um, you know, defensive performance. I wouldn't give the offense an A plus for the Bombers by any means, but I didn't think they needed to be with a defense that good. And you know, one thing, I don't know if you looked at the Bomber depth chart on Saturday when it was released, Ryan. Um, the one thing that jumped out to me was they had nine defensive linemen dressed. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that, if any, for that many uh, D linemen. And rotating those guys in and out uh, paid dividends by the end of the game. I think Jefferson only had four tackles, but you know what Jefferson did to back up the game in his comments, in a lot of cases with Willie, goes far beyond the stat sheet. And now all of a sudden they might have Saskatchewan and their fans, you know, looking over their shoulder a little bit about, you know, yes, we were three and all coming into the game, but you know, the quality of the opponents thing has some water to it. And, you know, the bombers punched them in the mouth and the riders couldn't respond. 
for whatever reason. And, you know, it was Cody. And this is this was the interesting part. And I think this is where the Bombers also won the game. If you look at, you know, the plays that Fajardo likes to run, there's a lot of quick hitters. Uh, ball out in less than two and a half seconds. You know, he doesn't really get tackled uh, on a lot of those, those types of plays. Uh, the Bombers said literally early in the game, we're going to blitz you, we're going to rotate guys in and out. It's up to your offensive line to hold. If not, we have the defensive bats that are going to smother your receivers force you to hang on to the ball a couple of times, make you very uncomfortable and throw a couple of untimely interceptions. So not to hype up the bomber bandwagon, you know, all that much, because sure, I'm happy they're four and one, but I think this is a far bigger game this week in the rematch for Saskatchewan than it is for Winnipeg. Just to save it, you know what? We won those first three games. We were three and zero last week with just you know an admiration, which would I guess be in a Labor Day game now, because Saskatchewan needs to follow up with some kind of response to what was a thorough domination, and there were some people in Regina that were worried about this precise outcome. And, you know, three and one is great, but three and two and you lost two games to potentially the top team in the West. You know, there may, there may be some questions in Saskatchewan, especially with the pile of road games that they have coming up. Um, the first one will be the Banjo Bowl here this weekend. Um then I think it is seven of our last nine games are on the road. Most of those are division heavy. You know, I want Saskatchewan to play better this week. And I want to see the Saskatchewan, but I saw the first three weeks. Just to make sure that, you know, we aren't sort of overhyping Fajardo and the Riders. So, yeah, if you want to talk about storylines for this week, how does Saskatchewan follow up? Historically, these games have been splits, these head-to-heads uh, between them on Labor Day. But I'm really intrigued how the riders, you know, rebound to try to uh, split the series with the Bombers in Winnipeg. Again, I will say to Bomber fans, if we can win in Saskatchewan, they can most certainly win in uh in Winnipeg. So I'm not saying that it's going to be a sweep for the Bombers. I'm just saying if you think that it's going to be an easy win based on what you saw on Sunday, I would suggest that you're going to come out of IG Field on Saturday one disappointed individual. For the Riders, it really was just on, at least offensively, the Kyron Moore show. 10 catches on 15 targets for 79 yards. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a receiver get 15 targets in a game. I mean, he is the top receiver on the team, especially with Shaq Evans still out on the injured list. Uh, but after that, you know, you've got Moore, you've got Jordan Williams Lambert, who's been around for a couple of years. He had a decent day, five catches for 52 yards. 
you've got a pretty young receiving group there in Saskatchewan other than that though you know Braden Lennius Mitchell Pickton don't have a ton of games under them uh coming yep. into this year uh Keon Schaefer Schaefer Baker uh you know started last week got in his backup this week Ricardo Lewis making his first start at wide receiver like that is a very young team that the riders are working with. So the fact I think that they are three and one while they're still, you know, growing the next batch of great riders receivers is a testament to this team. And, and, you know, maybe in this game, Mm -hmm. things weren't going as well for a lot of these younger guys, but uh, when that happens, you know, you have a guy like Kyron Moore to lean on. And I think once you get Shaq Evans back in the lineup, that definitely helps, but to me, the puzzling thing still with the riders is I, I this is a two-year thing, at least, is they have not figured out how to use William Powell. And we've talked about this almost every week. We've talked about a riders game. Eight carries, 44 yards. He's averaging five and a half yards a carry. The game was close, the majority of the game. Going into the fourth quarter, it's 13 to eight. Uh, the Bombers put up 10 points in the fourth. Uh, but in a close game like that, your passing game is not getting it going. Uh, Fajardo's not on his game. The Bombers have given up big 100-yard rushing games the past couple weeks. Why is Powell not getting, you know, 15 carries in this game? Why, why is he stuck at eight, which is, seems, to, seems to be more often than not, we're seeing less than 10 carries from William Powell. I'll, I'll counter with this question, and I do not disagree with what you're saying What? I agree with you 110%. But that's not who Jason Moss is as an offensive coordinator, is he? That's fair. I mean, he never, when he was with Edmonton, he never really ran the ball. He had C.J. Dable, but he decided to put it all in Hitch's wagon uh, to, uh, I think it was Trevor Harris, I think was his quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You know, and he had... Um, you know, a fairly serviceable running back, and he just did not use him as effectively as maybe he should have. But then again, he was very unproductive when given the ball. And I wonder if the riders looked maybe at this week at benching William Powell and starting their kit returner, Jamal Morrill, at running back to see if they can spark some kind of a running game, which has been MIA at this point. But I I don't think Powell's the problem. I think Powell had a great game. A a five-and-a-half-yard average is great. Uh, You know, Andrew Harris was the leader for the Bombers offense in this game. He had 95 yards on 18 carries, which was 5.3. So Powell actually had a better rushing average. I think they just need to lean on him a little bit more, get him involved in the run game, get him involved in the pass game, especially if you're trying to get the ball out of your hands with you guys like Willie Jefferson, you know, coming at you. Like it seems to be like he's a guy that could be used so much more effectively and the riders still have not figured that out. Well, here's the thing. I think if you run the ball, I think you slow that pass rush down of Jefferson and Jeff Colton, those types of guys, whoever they have on that D-line. But I'm wondering if if they're saying to themselves, we don't have a chance to run right into this, this ferocious pass rush 
Uh, are we setting ourselves up for failure that way? But I, I guess my, my counter argument to that is I'm surprised the writers didn't expose the Bombers' run defense, which, you know, has terrified me in the last two weeks leading into this. I really thought that the writers and William Power were going to run all over the Bombers. I think I told you this. Uh, it was you or somebody else who I said, oh, boy, I hope, you know, Powell doesn't expose the, the Bomber um, run defense a little bit. But it's just remarkable to me how stagnant their running game is. And I wonder, part of me just wonders as if they're still trying to figure out, you know, what works behind this offensive line, which... You know, if you speak to some people in vagina, and I haven't since since the game, you know, ended, uh, being it was only yesterday and we're recording this, you know, on, on Monday night. But this was also the first time we saw that offensive line under severe duress. And, you know, it poses some questions about how perhaps they attacked this defensive I get or this defensive mindset of the bombers going into next week, whether that's you know running more too tight end stuff to slow down you know the pass rush because that's one thing we saw Toronto do in the rematch is they went to a lot of the too tight end set to slow down the pass rush and then they would have those DNs so high up in the play and that would lead to draw plays, you know, which would lead to gaping holes, uh, which uh, both John White and the other running back uh, for the Argos were able to expose. So, you know, there, there's a lot of questions about the both teams, really. How did the Bombers follow this up? Are they able to follow up in a, in a, in a home win? Uh, but has been fairly automatic in the last number of years versus what do the writers do to to counter a domination at points and how do both teams tone down the penalties? I understand, you know, it, it's a rivalry game, but, you know, both teams touch some penalties. I think that both coaches, especially special teams-minded coaches that both teams have, um, you know, it's, it's very interesting how I, I'm, I'm intrigued and I think along with, you know, the Alberta rematch, this one intrigues me just because I want to see, was it a very dear bomber performance and a poor rider performance or are the bombers just that more, that much more superior in the West division to this point? And I think, Brian, what we're going to find out is it's somewhere in the middle. Because if Cody is able to complete a couple more passes, especially that one that he airmailed over somebody's head uh, that literally had touchdown written all over it, it it's, a, it's a different team. And I think the writers are going to come better prepared on Saturday. I think it's up to the crowd to give the Bombers some energy. And let's see what happens. Let's move on to the Monday games uh, that happened earlier today. Toronto Argonauts and Hamilton Tiger Cats in Hamilton. 
the Ticats take this one 32 to 19, uh, dominating the play, I'd say, on all three in all three facets. You had Dane Evans at quarterback, a fine day, uh, 248 yards, two touchdown passes. You had the defense played well, also contributed a pick six. Frankly, Frankie Williams contributing a return touchdown. Uh, these Ticats have turned things around quickly from those first two weeks, haven't they, Mike? Yeah, and I don't think it's an accident. Uh, they're getting some very, very good play out of their quarterback. Uh, their defense has started to get healthy again and rounding into form. And those young receivers that are in for some injured veterans have uh, really started to find their team. Uh, this is close to the 2019 Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, to today that we saw. And, you know, everybody, especially Hamilton, has that one game-breaking play, um, you know, on special teams, as Frankie Williams has been known to do. Um, to me, the defense today was just impeccable, if I may use that word. Uh, there were several instances where it looked like the Ardos would have some completions and the Cats were able to get there just in the nick of time within the rules to knock the ball away. Um, boy, I, I believe that the Riders and the Bombers got done with Hamilton just in the nick of time because it appears like this is a Hamilton team that is all of a sudden destined for a lot of winning. And it was no, and it should be no surprise to us either. I mean, I think I said it the first couple of weeks that the Ticats really, to me, were a good football team that was just missing a lot of key pieces due to injury. You know, you get some of those pieces back. And I think the offensive line for the Ticats is still a bit shaky. I mean, they're still missing Chris Van Zyl, who's on the sixth game. And, you know, don't have a lot of veteran presence uh, beside that. Uh, but defensively, they were missing some key pieces. As you mentioned, they got those back in the lineup. And they've had those younger receivers step up and help this team. And, you know, they're getting back to that form. They have the playmakers they need. And, and the scary thing is they're doing all of this without even having Brandon Banks playing at true Brandon Banks level. Uh, you know, he's good. he got a little bit back towards his norm in this game, 45 yards through the air, 31 yards, and was actually the leading rusher for the team on the ground. But uh, that's certainly not even close to the numbers he can put up. Like, you have to think the sky's the limit for this Ticats team. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah Mazzoli did not dress for this game. He was on the one-game injured list. You hate to see a guy lose his starting job due to injury, but I don't know how you can go away from Dane Evans now after they righted the ship here. Well, I'll tell you something. Um, this is just me. There's no way Jeremiah Mazzoli plays another game this season unless Dane Evans completely falls on his face offensively. Or gets hurt. It, it's it's to me just absolutely remarkable how a quarterback change in week three, an unfortunate injury, seems to have just reinvigorated 
a whole offense. Granted, they have some defensive parts that weren't there the first two weeks in now, which, which of course, makes it a lot easier. Um, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, Dane Evans looks like a much better player than 2019, at least to this point. Uh, he made an Argo defense that played very well against, you know, the Blue Bombers and a couple of other games. Uh, this season looked very average and it's a very interesting situation but it's about to develop because I just don't see a way in unfortunate circumstances that you can put Jeremiah Mazzoli back in when you get in the type of performances from Dane Evans and I, I think we have to talk about the fact that you know, Ty Cats head coach Orlando Steinauer literally said in the preseason, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, we're comfortable with both guys. We feel we have a 1A, 1B situation. And Dane Evans has currently put the quarterback question to bed, at least for now. The only, I guess, presiding question I have is is it fair to judge um, Jeremiah Mazzoli? Sorry, the name escaped me. Is it fair to judge Jeremiah Mazzoli uh, for performances that weren't necessarily his fault against two of the top teams in the lead, particularly two of the top teams in the West? That I don't know, but it is a 14-game season, and as it is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business, and I'm sure Jeremiah Mazzoli understands that. And I think you keep rolling with Dane Evans until uh, something happens, like I mentioned. One of the most exciting players to watch this year, uh, much like I said earlier about Devontae Deadman, has to be Frankie Williams of the Cats. I mean, this guy has shown the ability to do it all through uh, the couple games he's played this year. A big punt return touchdown in this one. I don't know who I would slate as the top return man in the CFL because there are so many good ones now. And I know there's been some really good returners in, throughout the league's history, but uh, we're blessed and, you know, treated to a show a lot of times in the league these days with the likes of Frankie Williams, Devonte Dedman, Mario Alford, uh, the list goes on, you know, Malik Henry in Calgary is another up-and-coming guy uh, who's having a good start to the year in that regard. There is some high-quality talent when it comes to the return guys in the CFL. And uh, so far this year, you know, he had a big return against Montreal the week before. Now he has the big return for a touchdown. Uh, Frankie Williams may be the leader in that regard. Well, here's an idea. Can we have a CFL All-Star Skills Challenge, which features a 100-meter dash involving the individuals that you just mentioned. I like it. Let's make it happen. Because I really want to see who the fastest guy is in the CFL out of the guys that you mentioned and maybe a few other guys. Boy, that would be fun. Boy, that would be fast. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, looking at the Argos side of things, uh, what's the big storyline here for Toronto? The big storyline is they're consistently inconsistent. 
they play really, really well against the Bomber team, but we thought they were one of the best teams in the East after that. Um, to follow it up with a game, but it appeared they weren't exactly ready to play. And I am a big, big fan of of, uh, you know, Nick Arbuckle and the job he's done when he's been in there. Um, as I'm sure a lot of people here uh, will listen to podcasts know. But it's just mystifying how he can be so good, you know, one week and then look so, I don't want to say terrible because that would be harsh, but not good in the Nets game. And I know that people are going to say, give your give credit to him on defense. You know, uh, sure, I'll do that. But I can't recall putting back-to-back performances together for Net Arbuckle that cemented, hey, you know, this guy is a top-tier quarterback. It just seems to be one one game where it's like, yeah, he's the guy. Followed up with a game of, oh, I don't know. Like, he doesn't even make it out of the game because he gets, you know, replaced by McLeod Bethel-Thompson. So, I think Toronto goes as their quarterback inconsistency goes. And... Oh, sorry, Toronto goes as their quarterback consistency, you know, figures itself out. And this was a team that clearly wasn't ready for the defensive wall that Hamilton put up. Uh, they clearly weren't ready for the uh, Frankie Williams, you know, kick return that happened. And that really turned the game, in my mind, it was 10 to 4 up until that point. And you know, you just wait for that one fast-breaking play to happen one way or another, and that punt return happens for Frankie Williams, and and that's you know it's you know tough sliding up the hill, and I flipped to another event and then flipped back, and I noticed McLeod Bethel Thompson is in, you know, in the last three minutes leading you know, to a garbage time touchdown. And I'll say it, it was in garbage time. I, I, I put zero stock into that, into that, you know, into that touchdown. It's nice that it happened, but it's at the point where it's too little too late. And maybe we need to evaluate the Ardles as not much better than a 500 football team because that's exactly where they are. And that's exactly the way they're playing. And it, it to me, it would be madly, madly, madly infuriating to see one good, one bad. Um, just when the dead are so dead, and the not so dead are what we saw today. So Toronto just needs to find some consistency, and they need to find a way to shorten up their, you know, defensive drives, and they need to find a way to gain first downs and keep their defense on the sideline, especially, you know, when Hamilton is 
is the way Hamilton is. So may, maybe we misjudge the Ardos and maybe, maybe we don't know much of anything because this leads me to a bigger question. We have three teams at two and two in the East. We have a team that's 500 and or close to 500 in BC. We have a three and one. How do we differentiate the, there's always the top tier and the middle tier, the bottom tier. The middle tier has the most fluctuation depending on what happens in a given week. But how does that middle tier switch from week to week and how do those middle tiers teams become top tier or upper tier or upper echelon, whatever word you want to use. Right. Because I, I can put I can put Toronto as the top of the middle tier waiting to get to the top tier. But I could also say that about Hamilton and I could also say that about Montreal. Any given week with those three as far as I'm concerned. And this really makes me wonder about Toronto. And that's why I'm so curious for the rematch because I know Toronto is better than they've showed, but I think Hamilton was just really, really good today. So I want to see exactly where that fine line is with Toronto, and I want to see who their quarterback is in Benedict's back and forth, which seems to be happening. Well, I, I think to touch on some of the things you mentioned there, you know, the top middle and bottom tiers of the league. I think it's way too early in the season to slot some of those teams in because after two weeks, we would have put the tie cats at the bottom and now the tie cats are, are looking much better. You know, after one week, we were thinking Montreal's a top tier team in the league. Then they slid back down. Then they had this big game against Ottawa. So I think we're seeing, you know, it's still early in the season. Sure. It's labor day, but we're still seeing teams trying to figure out their game after not playing for two years and a lot of roster overhaul in that time with no preseason games to play in between, uh, we're seeing a lot of teams still figure it out. And, you know, you touched on Nick Arbuckle uh, and the inconsistency there. When he was in Calgary in 2019, in the stretch of games he started, I think he put up some very consistently solid performances. I think mm -hmm. he, uh, you know, he started last game in week three against the Bombers, looked fantastic in that game. Uh, he comes in, he has a bit more of a rough go in this one as well. But uh, to me, it's no question that Nick Arbuckle is my starter next week. Again, I think he was, he should, he was the starter coming into the season. If he wasn't injured and ready to go, mm -hmm. Bethel Thompson gets in for that first game against Calgary. Looks good. Struggles against the Bombers and Arbuckle's healthy and ready to go and takes the job back. So uh, I think Arbuckle is still your guy going forward. And I think they've got, you know, a, a great depth of talent uh, on all at all positions on offense, really. I mean, you've got a great dual back system in John White and DJ Foster, which seems to be working decently well. Uh, both guys are also getting involved in the passing game. You're missing a couple top-tier receivers for the Argos. No Ricky Collins Jr. He was in COVID protocol. Uh, no Juwan Breskison, he was still out due to injury, but you have guys like Curly Gittins Jr. and Daniel Braverman stepping up and having mm -hmm. big games. To me, I'm not as doom and gloom as you are on the Argos after this game. I honestly, I, I'm tempted to chalk this one up to 
Look at the history. Look how often Toronto wins in Hamilton on Labor Day. Compare it to the Bombers and the Riders. We've seen years where the Bombers came in seven and one and the Riders were one and seven and trending in absolute opposite directions. And they just couldn't win on in that atmosphere on Labor Day. And I honestly think that's maybe where I slot this in for Toronto in this game is just struggling to win uh, against the Ticats at, when they're on the road. And I expect to see them bounce back. And I still think they are an above 500 team on the year. But the thing you have to consider is if they are going to keep, if they're going to play like this against the Ticats again next week or the next time or the next time, because they play four games against one another this year in a shortened 14 game season. That's a large chunk of your schedule that is against this same team that may be your kryptonite. Yeah. And I think, you know, doom and gloom. And if I came across as doom and gloom, that wasn't my, wasn't my intention. I, I just want to be clear to the, to the, uh, to the, to the listeners. My question is just what are the Argos at this point in time? We've seen the good, we've seen the bad, uh, and we've seen the inconsistent. So let's see what they do this week. Well said. Let's move on to the final game of the week, the Alberta rivalry, the Edmonton Elks and the Calgary Stampeders in Calgary uh, for this one and the Elks coming off of, uh, missing last week's game due to COVID, uh, outbreak within the organization. They have most of the team back and healthy. They did miss a couple pieces, uh, who are out still due to COVID protocol, but, uh, there was some concern. I think from all of us, we weren't sure in terms of, you know, fantasy and pickup perspectives, how to approach this team. Cause we weren't sure how they would be affected. Um, the Elks came out of this break looking better than they did before, I dare say. 32-20, to 20, the win over Calgary. Uh, Trevor Harris, 31-41, of 41, 398 yards. Now, I don't think the high yardage is, uh, is that much of a difference than what we've seen before, but they finally did it, Mike. The Elks finally learned to score touchdowns on offense. I don't need to touch on the same point and gripe on the same thing again this week with Edmonton. Four touchdown passes for Trevor Harris in this game. Uh, that offense, with all the talent we know it's capable of, uh, facing a Calgary defense that I think has struggled greatly against the pass this year, finally got it done and finally got the points on the board to win this game. You know what shocked me about this game, Ryan? One thing. The outs lawn playability came to be in this football game. Uh, those poor Calgary corners did not know what to do. Um, Amos and I forget who the other guy was on the corner. Uh, they got fairly picked apart in the first half of this game. It was also the other corners that got picked apart on the lawn touchdown but sealed the game. Um we, I saw some Calgary defensive bats that were um, very, very, I don't want to, exposed, may or may not be the right word. Uh, they were a step slow in a lot of situations. Um, perhaps a Edmonton quarterback in Trevor Harris that knows what he sees. And those guys not 
used to Trevor Harris. Um, but you know what, Trevor Harris, his game was excellent today. Uh, this was the best game, I think, from Trevor Harris uh, this year. I think it would be fair to say, uh, despite the finishing versus uh, non-finishing, I guess, in the early part of the season. Um, but today, I saw some really concerning things uh, for Calgary. The defensive bats uh, were very, very interesting. Uh, very burned on a lot of things. Uh, I definitely wouldn't blame Jake Mayer uh, for this loss. Uh, not by any stretch of the imagination. He was very, very uh, good, I thought, under the circumstances. And this is an Edmonton offense, but we just see how good they can be when they put the pieces together. And just what game-breaking receiver capability uh, this team has. And today was the type of performance, for my estimation, if I may use the Dead Brown analogy, because he likes to use the in my estimation a whole lot. So I borrowed that one from Dead Brown. Thank you, Doug. Um, we saw a lot of what I, what a lot of the reasons why I picked Edmonton to finish first in the West, but just a few weeks into the season. So, yeah, good win. Uh, much like the Bombers' inability to win in Regina on Labor Day weekend, Edmonton's inability to win in Calgary was also slayed. So, it sets up a very interesting rematch last week. Yeah, and the Elks, I think, are getting it done offensively. Uh, you know, with guys stepping up that we ne didn't necessarily think would in that the regard, we have seen them. And, you know, everybody, all the attention has coming into the year was on Darrell Walker, was on Greg Ellingson, uh, to a lesser degree on Armonte Edwards. I think a lot of focus was on how James Wilder Jr. was going to play this year. Uh, and I thought he's been uh, fantastic so far this season. But it's guys like Mike Jones, that, the Canadian receiver there for the, the Elks, coming over from Hamilton in 2019. 107 yards receiving and a touchdown, a big 52-yard reception. I thought he had a fantastic game this time around. He had Ernest Edwards, not Armonte, uh, stepping into the lineup this week. He picks up 56 yards and a touchdown as well. Jalen Tolliver steps into the lineup, 48 yards and a touchdown. Like the Elks spread the ball around and sure, Walker had a great day with 94 yards. Ellingson had a solid day with 65, but they were getting production from basically everybody offensively. And it's nice to see that even with, you know, all these big names we're watching, to see some of these younger guys get a chance in the lineup and step up and make an impact. Yeah, and that's exactly what you need, given the type of injuries uh, that you're dealing with in Edmonton and COVID-related um, situation. And we hope that all those players recover well on their bat soon. Um, but this was a very good performance from Edmonton, both offensively and defensively as well. And 
you know, as much as we talked about, you know, galvanizing moments, it's terrorizing as the last couple of weeks have been. I also wonder if it's going to bring that team closer. I know they had to release, you know, an offensive lineman who was supposedly breaking protocol, did break protocol. But you have to wonder if that's going to galvanize the outs in a way that we didn't foresee coming. Now, looking at the Calgary side of things, Jake Mayer gets his third straight start, uh, 29 of 46, 328 yards and a touchdown. Uh, three straight 300-yard games is certainly not a bad way to start your CFL career. Uh, in a wild turn of events, just two, three weeks after being put on the six-game injured list with a broken fibula, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell was back in a full participant in practice in the latter half of the week. Uh, there was some thought maybe he would actually start in this game. You have to think if he was already a full participant, he's on track to be healthy and ready to go uh, come the rematch this week against Edmonton. Like, I don't think my question is necessarily what do you do here because you don't keep Bo Levi Mitchell on your bench. Uh, it's more so I I'm kind of sad uh, if he is going to be back this week because I want to see Mayer keep on playing. Yeah, there's something about his uh, something about his demeanor and something about his attitude that a lot of people can get behind, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, I see the kid play. I see the kid throw the ball. And I, I don't know about you, but, man, I want to play for that quarterback if I was able to play football. Just the way he goes about himself. Um, he doesn't look like a rookie in the CFL by any means. He looks like a six-year veteran with some of those types of throws. It, it's just absolutely remarkable. And I wonder, Ryan, may I propose something to you? Oh, boy. I think I know where you're going, and you may anger a lot of people. So go for it anyways. Well, I'm just thinking – Calgary's struggles are on defense, one would assume, correct? Yes. What does Ottawa have that Calgary needs? What does Calgary need that Ottawa has? Is there a trade, perhaps? What Some trade? defensive help? Some defensive help for a potential future quarterback. Okay, I wasn't sure where you were going here. I wasn't sure if you were suggesting a mayor trade to Ottawa or if you were going to anger, uh, because I think that angers people a lot less than the other potential of you suggesting keep mayor and trade Bowie by Mitchell. I was going to no, shut that no, one no. down real, real quick here, Mike. No, and I, I'm, I'm just wondering because – you know, it seems like Calgary, it's fairly obvious, needs some help defensively. Ottawa's got some of those guys. Ottawa, you know, it's two teams heading in the same direction, unfortunately, which is not toward the playoffs. But I'm wondering if both two teams can help each other out in the present or if that's kind of something that we need to look at in the offseason. Yeah, no, that's, I, I don't know if we'll see that trade necessarily midseason, especially, you know, uh, given Bo's health, you know, 2019, he missed some time. Now he missed some time this season. Uh, if you've got a guy like Jake Mayer, do you want to necessarily 
uh, go and give him up. Now, I have no doubt that uh, if Michael O'Connor has to come in and start, he'll probably break Mayer's franchise record because Calgary, that's just what happens with Calgary uh, and quarterbacks. But uh, I, I, th- I think you hold on to Mayer. And honestly, if it was me, I would rush Bo back a little bit. Like, I wouldn't rush him back. I would let him take his time and get healthy. You know, sure, he's had this miraculous recovery from his broken fibula, but maybe just give him an extra week or two. Because I don't think Mayer in the offense has been a letdown for this team in the past couple of weeks at all. I think he's, if anything, he's brought out the best in some of his receivers, and it's a very clear big three to me leading the way for the uh, for the Stampeders. Uh, Kamar Jordan... You know, he's the veteran. He's the guy you expect to lead the way. Nine catches, 123 yards. I thought he looked great in this game. Uh, Markeith Ambles, uh, 15 targets, much like Kyron Moore er, that we talked about earlier, 78 yards. And Josh Huff had 68. So I I think these three receivers have been gelling really nicely and building a lot of chemistry with Jake Mayer in recent weeks that I would like to see continue uh, going forward. But, I mean, just to sum it up, Mike, could we – have we ever, like, could we ever have imagined through five weeks of the season looking at the standings and seeing the Calgary Stampeders at the bottom? Everybody says it every year, but it doesn't happen. Right? I mean, we suggest year after year after year, but, you know, this is Calgary's downfall year, and it doesn't happen. And... It's just very interesting, and I think that if there's a team that can sneak into the playoffs here, playing some semi-decent football in the second half of the season, if there's a team that I do not want to play in the playoffs, if it's a three seed, it's the Calgary Stampede. I know they're one and four. I know they're one and four. But all they needed the chance to get into the playoffs, and then I get terrified, which is why I believe that it is imperative that the Blue Bombers win this weekend, put a stranglehold on first place, and have somebody else deal with what I think is going to be a third seeded Calgary and deal with them prior to the Western final because. I'll tell you something. One in four Calgary may seem like a wounded animal. Maybe a terrible analogy on my part, but you don't want to be the one to poke the bear that starts a run that gets them into third place and then Bo gets back, leads them to a playoff spot, leads them to a win in the Western semifinal or maybe even the crossover. I don't think it's going to be the crossover this year, but you just never know. And then all of a sudden you're dealing with a third-place Calgary team that is in the playoffs, having won something like seven of their last nine games, and then you have a Winnipeg Blue Bombers situation that goes on. Yeah, and the the dangerous thing, though, for Calgary is, you know, their one win this season is against Montreal, uh, and they have lost, you know, now they've lost the game to Edmonton, they've lost the game to BC, uh, they've lost the game to Winnipeg, 
Uh, so they've lost a couple of games in that tight West division race for the Stampeders. Uh, let's move on to our uh, fantasy football, our pickums for this week. Uh, to recap, the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League, uh, I did unfortunately suffer another loss this week. I put the third best score up in the league, but that was not enough. Uh, Andrew from the Turf District beating me by uh, 1.4 points only. I was so close. Uh, he had the great pick of Mike Jones in that Edmonton Calgary game that really put him over the top. Uh, so I fall to three and two on the season, uh, which is pretty much the, you know, the same record as a lot of other people. A, a wild five-way tie for first place at three and two at the top of an eight-team league. Uh, and then in week number six, I'll be taking on uh, Rod Via Gomez of the Wood Cookie Sawcast. Uh, so make sure you check out the Turf District the Wood Cookie Sawcast, and all the other great shows around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Now we get to the part of the show where Mike has some explaining to do. Uh, the, yeah. In, in our little fantasy game, uh, that, let's see, how did we do this week? I fielded a lineup, or I guess first of all, before that, transactions from uh, during the week. Uh, I put Timothy Flanders on my injured list with him being out for a couple weeks already. Picked up Rasheed Bailey. Uh, Mike put Braylon Adams, Braylon Addison on the injured list and picked up Stephen Dunbar Jr. Uh, my week five lineup, I had Zach Caleros, William Powell, Andrew Harris, Kadeem Carey, Kyron Moore, Jake Wynicke, uh, Darrell Walker, Rasheed Bailey, the Bombers defense and Sean White for a grand total of 137.5 points. Uh, solid production from most of the guys in the lineup and a big game from Jake Wynicke contributing 31 points by himself. Uh, Mike had Cody Fajardo, William Stanback, James Wilder Jr., Sean Thomas Erlington, Kenny Waller, Greg Ellingson, Josh Huff, Braden Lenius, Hamilton's defense and Rene Paradis for 99.1 points. Uh, total overall scores, uh, I'm at 558.9, Mike is at 522.5, so I am in the lead. Mike, what happened this week? Uh, just looking at some of the names on your bench, Vernon Adams, uh, Eugene Lewis, uh, you know, those are the, probably the two biggest ones here. Uh, rough week when it comes to fantasy? Yeah, and it happens to me twice a year, which is my detriment even in the National Football League pool uh, that is similar to this. I overpaint, and I put somebody on the bench that shouldn't be on the bench, and they make me regret it. Now, now your logic coming into the game, uh, obviously, you know, you have a lot of outlets on your roster, but uh, you, you elected to go a little more heavy on the, on the riders offense there. Um, I think the logic is sound in that, given the, the Bombers' defensive outputs the past couple of weeks. But uh, And I don't think anybody expected the 51-point day we were seeing from Montreal. And, and to, to be honest with you, Ryan, I was probably in one move even yesterday, and I was adding William Powell to my team or some variation of a different running back uh, just to get something out of that position. Um so, yeah, I really like to overpaint. I really like to tinker. And it burned me this time. And my logic was two inconsistent games from Montreal. Literally, 
uh, almost cost me. Um, a third given Ottawa's, you know, historic defensive start, which has been fairly sizable. There was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of uh, interesting decisions that had to be made and going back is, is one thing, but, you know, I just want to move forward. It's, it's, you know, I considered Eugene Lewis, but I did not expect that kind of performance. I literally thought the Riders would pick the Bombers apart defensively. And I, honestly, I had the Bombers losing by uh, a fairly sizable number, which didn't happen. So, you know, you, you, you take your bruises and you move on. And move on, we shall. Uh, I'm sure you'll have a nice bounce back next week. We seem to be going back and forth through the first five weeks of the season. Uh, and CFL Pick'em, the week before, you and I picked opposite on each game, so we ended up, you know, pretty split 500 uh, combined uh, in that week. Uh, this past week in week five, we decided to pick the same on every single game, and we talked about how, you know, this may be very good for getting us back on track, or we may blow it even more. Uh, and we went a, uh, each went one three on, on the week, I believe with the only yeah. pick correct being the Alouettes over the Red Blacks on Friday night. So uh, let's see if we can get things back on track for week number six. I think it's going to be tough uh, to do so perhaps with these rematches because they're harder than regular games to predict, I find. Uh, but it all starts off Friday night, a very short turnaround for the Argos and the Ticats. The Argos are at home in this one. Pick trend is 63% in favor of Hamilton. Which direction are you going, Mike? Yeah, I like Hamilton to split. I like Hamilton to sweep this series. I really do. Uh, I expect the Argos to bounce back at home, but I expect 2019 Hamilton train to keep rolling toward the train station. I'm going to go with the Argos, I think, in this one. I, I'm, I'm tempted to agree with your logic, and I think a lot of it is sound. Um, but I, I do think this was the case of just not being able to win on Labor Day in Hamilton for the Argos. I think they are a good team, and if they are as inconsistent as you say, well, last week was their off week. That means they're going to be on this week, so I'll take the Argos in a close matchup at home. Uh, getting into the Saturday triple header, our first triple header day of the season. It starts off 3 p.m., the Banjo Bowl, Winnipeg hosting Saskatchewan, 65% of people have picked in favor of the Bombers. Oh, this is a tough one for me to pick. The Bombers are good at home. They're really good at home. Um, but I could see the split not half, or I could see series being split with the home and home. The Riders are still a good team. I think I'm going to take the Riders here. I think Fajardo's got to have a much better performance than we saw from him last week to tip things back in the other direction. I have an announcement to make. Uh-oh. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I want to speak to you for a minute. If you want me to consider you a first-place team, and put all the naysayers aside that are out there about who the Bombers left their way to a couple victories. One thing you got to do this week. 
You got a bathtub last week's performance, and you got to beat the Riders again. Then I think the Bombers are the undisputed best team in the West. Right now, they're the best team in the West for a lot of people. You want to be the undisputed best team in the West? Back up. Back up this week's performance and do the exact same thing to a rider team that has the chance to improve themselves. How I think this game is going to go is the riders are going to win and it's going to be a close one. But like I said, Blue Bombers, this is your chance to make a statement. And that statement is winning this football game and showing everybody, myself included, who believe that you're a good team but want to get excited about a good team, if that makes any sense. So you had one good performance. But remember what happened the last time you played somebody back-to-back? Yeah, you lost the next game. So avoid that. And show me that you are the best team undisputed in the West by beating the Riders. Even though I'm picking against you, I want you to win just like you've proven me wrong on four different occasions this year. Not to mention you pick against Bombers every single week, and it seems to work out uh, in your fandom's favor more often than not. So I like it. That seems to be good on track. Unfortunately, that means my pick will probably be wrong as well, but that means Bombers will win, so I'll take it uh, because my pick of record this season is garbage. So, uh, you know, one game's not really going to make a difference on getting me back on track in that regard. But let's move on to the Edmonton game uh, with the uh, in Edmonton, Calgary coming to town for the rematch. Uh, you are up first on this one. Oof. Well... I'll make the pitch, and I think I'm going to stick with it regardless who plays the quarterback. Calgary, my friends, you got some problems. Those problems are going to be exasperated this week. I expect a better performance from Calgary, but, hey, Harris and the outs are rounding into form. I expect them to prevail on home field by about 10 or so points. I'm taking Calgary, actually, in this one. I think they're going to bounce back this week. I think Trevor Harris comes back down to earth. You know, more often than not, we see uh, solid, good Trevor Harris. Last week, we saw outstanding Trevor Harris, but I think that's, uh, you know, a small blip out of the norm. Uh, Here and there, we'll see those performances. It's not every single week that he's lighting you up for four touchdowns. In fact, last week was the first time he's ever done that against Calgary, I believe. So... Uh, I I think he falls back to earth a little bit. I think Calgary gets things back on track a little bit here. Uh, I'm taking the Stampeders uh, by and large due to this being a home-at-home series and uh, I'm banking on the split here. Yeah. And you know what? what? I I would agree with that too in a sense. I just have some really, really valid concerns about Calgary's bats and the defense. Uh, pick trend for that game, 63% in favor of Calgary. Uh, and then getting into the final matchup of the week, the BC Lions coming off the bye week to host the Ottawa Red Blacks. Pick trend, 93% in favor of BC. 
Uh, and I can't help but agree with this one. BC at home, Ottawa coming uh, all the way across the country uh, to face the Lions. Uh, who knows what's going to happen offensively with the Red Blacks. I assume Davis will get a start here and then Jack maybe a little bit more life. But uh, I like BC coming off the bye. Uh, nice and healthy. They should hopefully get some of their offensive linemen back this week. And that offense is going to uh, potentially tear this defense to shreds. I think this week I'm taking the Lions. Yeah, I'm going to – maybe this might seem cruel, but it wouldn't surprise me is if Montreal and Ottawa was the movie, if we just hit rewind and then hit play again. I really am in tough. I really am in tough, Ryan, to give Ottawa this game. Um, and to be frank, I wouldn't give Ottawa this game in a very good Ottawa team playing BC just because of that East going West uh, thing that seems to be happening. Uh, Eastern teams, particularly Ottawa and Toronto and Hamilton, don't exactly have success in BC. Uh, that aside, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this one is a 17-point-plus scoreline at the end of it. So you're taking the Lions there as well. We'll see how those picks work out in week number six. Uh, that pretty much does it for today's show. Mike, do you have anything else you want to say or plug before I do the final wrap? Yes, big week. Uh, we start with hockey on uh, Mike FM tomorrow night. So Tuesday, we got teams Tuesday and Friday. And potentially looking at adding the team on uh, Thursday night, but I'll have more details on the Facebook pages uh, once uh, the announcement is out uh, this week. And the other part is uh, it's hard to wrap my head around the fact that the stamps are one in four and are a half yard away from being 0-5. Yeah. I mean, that to me, if you want to talk about, you know, quarter quarter poll uh, storylines, because I know we're probably getting close to the quarter point of the season uh, for some teams. I hope that we figure this, figures it out. The lead needs a very good team in Calgary. It's been good for the lead. Some would say this is also good for the lead, right? Because there's new kids on the block. But I just cannot see. I can't see as much as, you know, we harp on Calgary losing week after week. I just can't see it continuing. I, I know I hit Edmonton, but I have zero confidence in Calgary right now. Um, it's just startling to me. You know, every year we talk about you know, Calgary taking a downward turn and it doesn't happen. And this year it happens and it's, it's just shell shocking. Well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, check out everything Mike's got going on. I uh, follow him on Twitter at Mike Garrell. Uh, you can check out the game time TV and the Facebook and Instagram pages and MikeFMWinnipeg.com to find all of the content he's working on each and every week. Uh, for us, you can find us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. Uh, you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. In fact, if you're listening to us right now, congrats, you found us on your favorite podcast platform. 
Uh, make sure you like, uh, subscribe, leave us a rating, a review, uh, tweet out or share the link to the show. Uh, help us get it out to more people. We love talking CFL each and every week with all of you. Uh, if you're interested in getting more CFL fantasy content, you can go over to YouTube and check out the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix. Uh, I put out videos uh, almost every day throughout the week in preparation for the CFL Fantasy Week, going over your top picks, uh, the best and worst picks at each and every position, uh, and depth chart updates later in the week as well. So check out the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix for that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42 as well for more uh, CFL fantasy updates throughout the week. Uh, make sure you check out all of the other great shows around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well. Find them on Twitter at CFPod Network. And that does it here for week number five recap, week six preview. Enjoy the games for week six. Uh, it should be another fun weekend with a lot of rematches. And we will be back early next week to talk uh, about all those in preview week number seven. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye. Bye.